Well, awesome. It's so good uh, to be here with you and all those joining us online as well. Uh, there's a big community that watches us online as well and your host. would love to be con- connecting with you as well and we're praying for you as a church. Uh, but we are in the middle of a church-wide series in, in the book of Joshua and uh, we're week three, so we're pushing into chapter three of Joshua. So uh, you can open up your Bibles or your uh, devices that you have and, and follow along. Uh, but I want to give just a really quick sort of recap, because if you're watching online or you're, you're here for the first time and maybe understanding what's taking place leading up to the book of Joshua is something that's new to you, I want to give you a bit of background because it just helps uh, you sort of put things into place. If we go back to the beginning of the Bible, don't worry, this isn't going to be the long message all the way from Genesis right through. If you go back to the beginning of the Bible, we actually hear uh, how uh, there is God's people, the Israelites, are caught in slavery in Egypt under the rule of Pharaoh. And uh, they're caught in captivity and slavery for 400 years. It's a fairly long time. Now, there was a promise that was given by God to say that uh, my people, I've got a promised land for you. And uh, God reminded this man that God brought up through uh, the slavery, or he wasn't a part of the slavery, but a man called Moses. And Moses was an Israelite, but uh, by God's hand of provision, he actually grew up in the courts of Pharaoh. And God awoken him to the fact that about this promise... And to hear the cries of God's people in slavery and God filled him with courage to go into Pharaoh and say, you've got to let God's people go. You've got to let my people out of slavery. And you imagine Pharaoh was like, I don't think so. This is too good of a bargain for me. He said, no, no, seriously, you need to let them go. And out of Pharaoh's stubbornness, God uh, presents 10 uh, plagues. It is the first plague saying, let your people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And there's a second, no. And you can imagine it continues to the end where finally after the 10th plague, uh, Pharaoh's heart is broken. And he says, Moses, you go and you take God's people with you and you take your God with you. And Moses, uh, and we read through Exodus, uh, begins to lead the people from captivity towards the promised land that was promised. And uh, it's an incredible thing because he is his much-loved leader and through this whole time we see God's faithfulness and provision and grace. And uh, God provides miracles of his faithfulness. There's a moment where Pharaoh changes his mind and he gets all his armies to pursue them. And uh, God, by his miraculous power, splits the Red Sea and the, the, the tribe, the nomadic tribe, begins to can pass through the sea. And it closes over just as the army is about to pass through and they are killed. And they are free to keep on this journey. And as they travel through the Sinai Desert, God provides food, provides water. He gives them a new covenant between God and man, this promise. He gives them the Ten Commandments. He actually even provides them a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day to guide them, saying, I am here and I'm leading you. And then we fast forward probably about a year or two in their their journeys through the desert and they finally arrive under Moses' leadership on the edge of the promised land. 
It's just there. And if you remember the story, Moses sends out 12 spies and they go into the land, do a bit of reconnaissance, comes back and all 12 of them agree that the land is amazing. It's fertile. They even bring some of the produce and said, here it is. But 10 of them actually say, but we can't go in. This is impossible. They say, the people there aren't nice. Their cities are big. They're fortified. You should see their armies. But there's two other spies. There's Caleb and a guy called Joshua. And Caleb stands up and he says, no, no. We've got to go in. We can do it because God is with us. And the other 10 spies pipe up again and say, "Uh, man, I I saw him. Did you not see the giants? We look like grasshoppers. And the Israelites listen to the 10 and so does Moses. And God gives them what they say and said, well, I'll send you back to the desert and we'll go a different route. And for 40 years, they wander in the desert aimlessly. And before we boo Moses for his leadership choice, uh, can you see yourself in it? Like it's easy for us to look at Moses and think, we would have never have done that. But I'll be the first to put up my hand and say, if those reports came back, that is pretty intimidating. If we read, we see many of the tribe over that 40 years die off and another generation grows up and they increase in number, maybe to about a million, a million and a half people. But here's the thing. The whole time God is raising up another leader because God has not forgotten his promise. Maybe it's a word for you tonight. I mean, it's so easy we think God forgets his promises. But he doesn't. He is faithful even when we're faithless. And we get this picture in Deuteronomy 31 where Moses is told by God that the time is coming to hand over the leadership. And this is what it says. I'm now 120 years old. You can understand why he's given up his leadership. I'm no longer able to lead you. The Lord has told me you will not cross the Jordan River. But the Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you and he will destroy the nations living there and you will take possession of the land. And then he says this, Joshua will lead you across the river just as the Lord had promised. And then verse 7 says that Moses called for Joshua as all of Israel watched and he said this, Joshua, and I want you to remember this. He says, Josh, be strong And be courageous. It says earlier, actually, be strong and very courageous. The thing I've learned about courage, I thought courage was just a point you get where you don't fear anything anymore. But courage is the ability to step into something even with fear present. And it tells us, In verse 34, that Moses dies and the mantle now falls on Joshua's shoulders. And this is where we find ourselves in the book of Joshua. Now, let's just stop for a minute and appreciate 
the calling that's gone on Josh's life. Like imagine having someone like Moses who God has used so significantly. He's been courageous enough to stand up to Pharaoh. God has used him to lead a nation out of captivity. It's easy to think of Joshua as this well-equipped leader with amazing skill sets, no fear, the right resume as, as Pastor Trav was talking about last Sunday. Maybe this confidence. But I tell you, I don't think that was the case because Moses said to him, what, be strong and be courageous. That tells me that Joshua was quite nervous. And I reckon there's a sense that the moment that that call came on his life to lead this tribe, his little knees would have been shaking under his tunic. Because if that was me, I would have been quite fearful. The nation had just lost their greatest leader. And I could imagine the comparison that would have been going on in Josh's head. He would have been thinking. He'd be like, man, I do not have the same skill sets. And now I've got this nation or this tribe looking at me to be their next leader. But as we read in chapter 3, this is that actually Joshua leads the people once again. He, and once again, they find themselves on the edge of the promised land. It's just there. And all that stands between them and the promise was the Jordan River. But verse 15, and we'll read through Joshua 3 in just a moment. But in Joshua 3, verse 15 tells us that the Jordan River was actually at flood stage at that very moment they arrived. Like, you'd be thinking, God, why on earth, out of all of the 40 years that you could have led us back to this point, you've led us to the point where the, the river is at flood peak? Like, why would you do that? Imagine the, the nation seeing this and actually their hearts sinking again. Their hearts breaking. Being like, here we go again. I don't know if you remember the 21, uh, 2011 floods here in Brisbane. It's, uh, it's pretty hard to forget. And many people are still dealing with the impact of that uh, even today. But... Uh, I remember going into the CBD. I don't know if I was meant to. I think they were clearing people out, but my mate and I just wanted to get a glimpse of it. And so we travelled into the CBD and stood on the edge, on the bank of the Brisbane River. And there's a few photos that I, I took. And these photos don't really give it justice in the power that this water was moving through because it broke the banks and it inundated the city. That's, that's Lane Park or Suncorp Stadium right there. And I remember watching the power of this water. Like, I was watching boats go past. I'm watching all this debris. I'm watching pontoons go past. I even, there was, a, there was a, a restaurant up near Coronation Drive. They got lifted off its supports and dragged down the river. You know I mean, nothing stood a chance in the face of this river in flood. You know what I mean? Like the Brisbane River, maybe when it's, it's still, if you're crazy enough, you might swim across it. I wouldn't go near it. But in flood season, it's impossible. 
And this is what stood in front of Joshua. With a nation behind him and the call to lead them. What was just possible now has become impossible, I believe. And Joshua finds himself in the same place Moses was at. Joshua, are you going to believe the promise of God or are you actually going to step back? And then Joshua, are you just not going to believe his promise, but are you actually going to step out in faith into that promise? Joshua, will you be strong? Joshua, will you be courageous? Read with me Joshua 3. It says this. Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove. Sounds like a nice little estate here at Bridgman Downs. And arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing. And then three days later, the Israelite officers went throughout the camp giving instructions. Now, I don't know why it was three days. Maybe Joshua just hit the fetal position for a while. Maybe he was in the paper bag breathing. Maybe they were trying to think through strategic plans on how they were going to work their way across. Maybe they stopped and they seeked God. But whatever took place, God spoke because listen to these instructions that they gave the people. When you see the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. In other words, the presence of God, follow the presence of God. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, just to give you a quick brief snap at it, was a box that was covered in gold and other, uh, other ornaments. And it was where the presence of God dwelt. And they would carry this, the priests would carry this everywhere that the Israelites went. It was saying that our God is here. And so they said, when the the Ark of the Covenant moves out, I want you to move out of your positions and follow it. Follow the presence of God. And verse 4 says, since we have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. And then it says, say half a mile behind them, keep a clear distance between you and the ark and make sure you don't come any closer. In verse 5, Joshua told the people this. He says, purify yourselves. Or another version says, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord may do. No, actually it says, will do. The Lord will do amazing things among you. There's two things I want to point out there before we continue to move on. Two things I want to note, because in the face of a massive hurdle, we can see Joshua doesn't step back, but actually he steps forward and continues. He doesn't know what the outcome is fully going to look like. But yet in faith without seeing, he steps forward. The first one is this that I believe why he had this faith or why this faith was so strong is because verse 4 when it says, uh, follow them, since you have never travelled this way before, they will guide you. In other words, his, his trust was in the sense that God's presence goes before him. See, Joshua's faith wasn't built so, uh, was built firmly on God's faithfulness. That's it. So much so that in his leadership, 
even when he wouldn't know what the next step looked like, he was prepared to step out because he trusted God's promise. And he trusted that when God said, I'll go before you, he knew that, well, we need to follow. And that he is able to and willing to lead us into places and through places that we've never gone before, but he's trustworthy. The faith that Joshua is exercising here doesn't come from looking to the left or to the right in life. It doesn't come from human wisdom. It doesn't come from listening to your critics. It doesn't come from great talent or giftings. It doesn't come from the self-image or self-confidence that you've built up inside you. It's not based on circumstances. It's not based on bad past experiences or, or critics. It's founded on who God is, what God says, and what God can own alone can do. Does that make sense? I mean, so many times in my life I've experienced this where I've hit a point in my life where it's you're almost walking through a room that's black, you know what I mean? And you're thinking, God, what am I meant to do next? Like, I've got big decisions to make in life. But because of promises that you stand on, promises that I've read, that I'm a child of God, that God is for me and not against me, that he knows the plans he has for me, and, and, and faithfulness that I can recount that's been passed down to me or faithfulness I've experienced, it begins to stir a faith in you where you can step out even when you don't know where your next step is. Why? Because God is faithful to his promises. I want you to know that. You have times in your life where you don't know where you're going to step, but I can tell you, if your heart is, God, I just want your will to be done, I tell you, you can just take the next step and he'll be guiding you. It's like an image that he understood of God. And we see a glimpse of this in Colossians 1, 16 to 17. It says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, the visible things and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all these things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. It's an understanding of knowing that God is above all things. And when we take a glimpse of this and we begin to believe this, And realise this is truth, it begins to stir fresh faith in us. And this faith allows the quivering knee to take the next step. God is doing the leading, providing. If God promised it, he'll do it. I don't know how, I don't know when, but he'll make a way. So that first one is, is understanding that the promises of God and the fact that if God moves, we can trust his leading. The second one is this, Joshua told the people, he said, purify yourselves. He said, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. What does that mean to purify or to consecrate? See, I don't think it was a coincidence that the Jordan River was in flood. For some reason, God just loves to present opportunities where the impossible becomes in front of us. 
And I think he does this for a reason. I think he wants to show us that it's only in him that these things can be achieved. God wanted to show this people, and I believe the nations on the other side, that this God was the one true God, the one that they knew as Yahweh. But it's only he that can turn the impossible into possible. And I believe that when God said that for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you, I don't think he was just meaning just what I'm going to do in the miracle that's coming up. But I believe he he had a call in their lives because he was wanting to do an amazing thing and turn them into a nation and begin to pour out miracles among them as God's kingdom was going to move forward. And we become recipients of that today. Even the fact that God came in the name of Jesus and we have a relationship with Jesus. This is all as a result of God working out his great plan. And God's saying that if we're going to see a great movement of God, if we're going to make you a great nation, well, you've got to remember this is not coming from you and you will not be able to achieve it. It's only through me. So he says, purify yourself. Take your eyes off yourself. Put it back on me. Take your eyes off the fears, the situations, the circumstances, and put it on me, your provider. Take your eyes off the things of this world and put them back on to God. Offer your life back to God as a living sacrifice. I think of Jesus dying on the cross for me while I was still a sinner to save my sins. This life is not my own, but it's now I want it to be a living sacrifice for God to use for his purposes and plans, whether that's great in in society's eyes or tiny. It doesn't matter. It's a saying, God, I want my life to be set apart. I want to pursue the things of you, not the things the world says. Turn my eyes to what is true, who you say I am, where I should go. Because there's a generation that is about to be impacted. And you can't take the glory for it. Joshua 6 continues, as Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and they went ahead of them. And verse 7 says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I'll begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. An interesting part. For Israel to understand that when Moses died, God did not die. It didn't matter if it was being used through Moses or for Joshua. It is the same God. He is still Yahweh. It's still only him who can release the power. For his purposes. Israel, I am still with you. Joshua, I am with you. Verse 8 says, Tell the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. 
And Joshua said to the Israelites, in verse 9, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hevites, the Perizzites and all the other ites that gets listed there. In verse 11 it says, See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Do you hear that? God is saying, let me go in ahead of you. Let me do the work. And then it continues in verse 12. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, as soon as they set foot in the Jordan, this is what's going to happen. It's waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. I couldn't move past the part that said, go and stand in the river. But God didn't calm the river first. But God actually says, pick up the ark and I want you to go and step in the river. Like imagine just walking in and stepping into the Brisbane River in its full flood and think we're going to cross this. I love it because there's this picture of saying, God saying, I'm going to go before you. But he's saying, but I actually want you to step out in faith. He's calling us to action. Because God's going to fight our battles, but he wants to believe that he's going to fight our battles. See, faith is the action that reveals the authenticity of our belief. Does that make sense? If you believe something, do you truly believe it until you actually action it? Like the amount of times I've, I've begged my kids to try something. You know, I'm like, come on, let's do it. It'll be fun. They're like, no, we're too scared. And I'm like, no, no, come on, do it because I know they will love it. You know what I mean? I know the joy on their face. Sometimes I put Sienna and Sunny on our water tank. And uh, Bad Parenting 101, I know. But they love to jump off things, all right? Don't be horrified. And, uh, and I'll put them up there and I'll say, okay. I know how much you love jumping. This is your chance to fly like a bird, all right? This is your time to be a superhero. And I'm like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three and then you're going to jump and I'm going to catch you. And they're like, no, I don't trust you. I don't blame them. And I go, come on, you can do it. You will love it. And I go, okay, three, two, one, you see them balking it. And I'm like, come on, just try it. Trust me, I've got you. And eventually, belief kicks into action. And Sienna will leap. You know what I mean? It's hard from the leap, especially when your hands are behind your back. You know what I mean? They don't understand that what's going to happen. How are you going to catch me, Dad? And she leaps. And I reach out and she hits the ground. No, she doesn't. I, I catch her. I promise I catch her. And I wrap her up in the laughter. And the smile that's on her face. And you know what she says? Let's do it again. And again. And again. But then you got Sonny. And he looks over. And because he has seen faith in action, 
he says, my turn. See, this is what God wants to do in our lives because stepping out in faith, it helps produce the fullness of what God wants to do in and through us and also fulfilling his purposes. But I want you to know that you stepping out of faith actually sets a fire in those that are watching. And this is what Joshua is doing. He's stepping out in faith. God, I trust you. And the others are following. See, tonight, do you believe that God is can catch you. Verse 14 says this. It says, So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, verse 16 says, The water from upstream... Stop flowing. Verse 17 tells us that they crossed to the other side on dry ground. Amazing miracle and working of God's plans. I don't know what the Jordan River is in your life tonight or in your life. Maybe it's been for the last period of time. But there's areas in our life that God wants to call us out and into because he wants you to know the fulfillment, the the fullness of who he's created you to be. And there's been some things I know in people's lives that have been hugely tragic and the the thought of trusting is, is beyond anything I'll ever consider or understand. But what God wants to do is he's just calling us, will you just dip your toe in? See, it might be loss or past hurt. Maybe the the Jordan in flood is anxiety or self-doubt. Maybe it's critics that have been in your ear. Maybe it's, it's something like an opportunity that's been given to you or a leadership opportunity and you just think, I am so inadequate. God's saying, no, I just want you to know that I'll go before you and I want you to just... Just put your foot in the water first. Just trust me. Maybe it's forgiveness. I don't know what it is for you tonight. Maybe it's even baptism. Maybe it's giving your life to Jesus for the first time. Maybe that fear of surrendering your life, you think, well, if I lose it, got no control. I want to tell you that God has not come to destroy your life, but to give you life and life to the full. I can promise you that. You know how I know that he can be trusted? So we read through the Gospels that God came in the name of Jesus, God in human form. And why will still sinners, God, Jesus, died on the cross for us. That we may be forgiven, our sin dealt with, that we may be able to have a free relationship with God. And as a result of that, we're called children of God, new creations. And guess what? The presence of God doesn't just stay in the Ark of the Covenant, actually, it doesn't dwell there. And now dwells within us as followers of Jesus.
the power of our risen God in us. And he's saying, I'm walking with you every day. We just step into the water. There's another side of this that I believe is a call for us as a generation. And I believe it's that call around being strong and courageous. Because something that's said that firm in my heart through this is the being reminded that God has actually placed a call on each one of our lives as we become followers of Jesus. God's plan for all humanity to be brought back to Him. The reason you're here on this earth is not by mistake, but God has put a call on your life. Wherever you walk tomorrow, whoever you rub shoulders with, that is the place God has called you to be a light in the darkness. And God wants to use you to begin to see a world transformed for Him. See, God loves the world. John 3.16 tells us that for God so loved the world that He sent His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. And guess what? You and me have been called to be carriers of that. And the call is, will we rise up as a generation and will we be strong and courageous in the promises that we read in the Word of God and begin to be the hands and feet of Jesus everywhere we go? Because there's still places that are spiritually dark and broken because the light is not there. And God's calling us across to the other side. But there may be resistance. Maybe there's things in our lives. I don't know what it is for you in your workplace. But you think, I've been trying this and I just keep getting resistance. Or maybe it looks too fearful. Because it's just where you put your foot in the water. Where you step out in faith. Where you trust me. Where you've been praying for your colleagues. You've been praying for your family. You've been loving your enemies and you just keep getting kicked back. He says, just come on, keep stepping into the river because I'm going to part the seas and I'm true to my promise. The reality is you may not even see the promises come to flourish this side of heaven. Your call may be just to follow God wholeheartedly because you're a piece in the promise being fulfilled later on. I reckon we'll get to heaven and we'll look back and go, wow, I did not know that that what God was doing there was significant eternally. But that's faith, isn't it? Unbelief says, let's go back to where it's safe. But faith says, let's go forward to where God is working. I love this quote. As the Israelites crossed over into the promised land through faith in God, they therefore remind us that the gospel is far more than a promise of forgiveness through Jesus' blood. It also is the promise of inheritance through Jesus' resurrection. It isn't just about what we have been forgiven from. It's about what we have been forgiven for. Faith is in Jesus means stepping forward to lay hold of our own promised land and so we're going to stand 
Because God is calling, step out in faith, but he's calling us to consecrate ourselves to him afresh. Do you want to see a movement of God through this nation? Through your families, through your schools, your universities? I don't know when God's going to do it, but he's calling us to consecrate ourselves and say only he can do it and for us to be faithful in just taking one foot in front of the other. So I'm going to invite you to stand. first step tonight is if you've never given your life to Jesus I'm going to invite you to do that right now and so the way I'm going to ask you to do that is just to put your hand up and I'm not going to point you out but it's just a just a way of of saying I'm stepping out in the river I'm surrendering my life to Jesus I want him to be Lord and Savior of my life if that's you will you put your hand up just right now just confidently stick it up And if you want to see God move and you're saying, God, I just want to purify myself before you. I just want to turn my eyes to you. God is the only one that can forgive, but we want to turn our hearts back to him. We just put your hand up. Come right across this place. Don't be shy. Say, God, I want you to use me. Can we pray? Lord, Will you use us? We consecrate ourselves to you again. Will we turn our eyes from the things of this world? Give us strength, Lord, to follow you. Lord, where areas in our life look so good, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit, we invite your Holy Spirit to begin to break into that. Fill us with faith. Lord, may we count the cost. Not many people are going to count the cost. But Lord, I pray that we'll be a generation that stands up willing to die to self, be strong and courageous in your promises. And Lord, when we hit resistance, may we not step back, but Lord, just be faithful at the post. I invite your spirit to come and minister to my life, to our lives, us as a church, wherever you send us individually tomorrow. Lord, overwhelm us with your love. Lord, so when we step out, we carry your light and your love to the lost. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's sing. You unravel me.